When you're deep in a dark dungeon and the cleric's down and dying And you've taken all the potions you had left And you feel like you are doomed because that demon you set loose is coming after you And you can smell its breath Don't ever give up Hello, welcome to the Role Playing Exchange. This is Adam, and today I'm joined by my co-host Hi, I'm Aaron And I'm Patrick What are we talking about today then? Guys, I'll tell you a couple years ago, maybe two, maybe one, I can't, I don't know, time's fluid. I fell in love with Delta Green, backed the Kickstarter at a $300 level. I didn't really mention that part to my wife, but she doesn't really listen to the podcast. This past week, I just got my Delta Green Handler's Guide, and I don't know what you guys, but I am super excited about this, and I want to talk about Delta Green today. No, podcast over. Bye. <laughs> Music plays now. Uh, yeah, no, I think everyone's here because we're, we're into DG and would like to delve into some of that. And we were, talk, we were talking not just about Delta Green in, in general, but uh, I think as everyone here has, has or wants to make original content using Delta Green as a, as a system and a setting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so sort of the, the, uh, the goal of this is, is sort of, Discuss that. Sorry, I'm, I'm being quite objective oriented, <laughs> taking over. So, yeah, um, while uh, a long time ago, uh, I ran a, an original scenario uh, called Operation Pelagic. Aaron, which, what was the name of your scenario? I don't recall. I, I honestly don't remember. I think it was Black Ice. That sounds familiar. Adam, you've never run a, an original scenario, have you? No, I haven't. I mean, that's, that's one of the downsides to. Me trying to learn a system, I just start doing pre-created stuff, and I fall into the habit of it. And it, it's been helpful for me. You know, I started out running Lord uh, Last Things Last when it, it came out with the Eyes Only Quick Start Guide. And yeah. since then, and I actually I'll maybe posting this later this month to celebrate Delta Green, uh, Love's Only Children, I think it was the second scenario, which is a Call of Cthulhu scenario. But again, it was something that I didn't create. And I'm almost at, oh, screw it. I am at the point where I think that I can do this. I think that I can go out and create my own Delta Green scenario. And I know Aaron's pretty much at that same spot right now, too. And Patrick definitely has experience on this. So in this episode, we just, we're going to bounce stuff around here. With I, I will say I, I come at it from a very opposite side that I've never run a pre written. Uh, Delta Green scenario, uh, but that's because of how I approach the game in the storytelling. Like, I, I will read reprint scenarios and campaigns, um, but I always feel kind of awkward running them, and I much prefer to write and, and run my original things. So yeah, I, I try and I try and where possible do original rather than pre-written. not that anything is not that I'm trying to disparage anything out there. Deadwiller De- no. and, and Ivy and and Hype and, and all that company are very are very good and talented. It's just that. What Patrick's trying to say is that he hates Dennis Devwiller. Yeah, there were a bunch <laughs> of attacks. Come at me, bros. He will one day kill you on top of the uh, Gen Con Con Center with a ritualistic dagger. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm going to just uh, see them at Gen Con and just like, lunge wildly over the, uh, the table at, them, at the booth. <laughs> He'll know. He'll know what he did. It does. I like your approach, though, Patrick, because it does remind me of something that the bass player from the Bloodhound Gang told me. Now, I know that you probably get compared to the bassist from the Bloodhound Gang from, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, you and me, baby ain't nothing but mammals, but let's do it like we do it on the Discovery Channel. But Evil Jared, which that's his name, and I honestly actually know this man, like he, 
I even interviewed him for a college paper, but that's stupid, but let's just move on. When I was talking with this man about starting bands and doing music and stuff like that, he recommended that if you're serious, you just do your own content instead of doing covers. Otherwise, you're just going to be known as a cover band. And while I don't think that I'm just going to be known as like a scenario, like (laughs) that guy who keeps running pre-written scenarios and stuff like that, I think Patrick's Road may have a few more hard knocks, possibly, depending on how you are as a person. But he's where, you know, (laughs) you went straight toward that go. And just to switch gears slightly here, Patrick, in case listeners at home do not are not familiar with what Delta Green is, how would you basically sum up Delta Green and so forth? If this was about 10 years ago, I would say Delta Green is the X-Files role-playing system. Um, in fact, in the previous iteration of Delta Green, I would have said it was the X-Files role-playing system because the original Delta Green came about in like the late 90s uh, when ufology and X-Files was, was a much bigger thing. Uh, the, the current... What we talk about when we talk about Delta Green is a uh, modern reboot of that setting for Call of Cthulhu. It is more uh, a investigative game uh, in the inner setting inspired by and spinning off from ideas in the Lovecraft universe, but... It's uh, much more uh, nihilistic and... Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Patrick. No, you're not, you're not wrong. Um, actually, it is, it is quite nihilistic. Like, I have some purest quibbles over the timeline. Yeah. Um, it's a lot more fatalistic, too, I guess. Yeah. Um, it, 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 oh, yeah, because the Lovecraft myth, the Cthulhu mythos is kind of a legal clusterfuck, like, because people keep adding to it, only parts of it are common use, or what's it called? Open public domain? Yeah. So when, when they came out with the, the first draft of the Handler's book, they were like, yeah, we just had to rename basically everything because <laughs> we couldn't use the Loigor because Colin Wilson wrote about them in, I think, 63. <laughs> so they're not, they're not covered. But the deep ones we can because they were there are Lovecraft. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, so it it also is uh, from a meta perspective. It, I remember reading it came about as a reason. Uh, it's a frame narrative. It's a reason for having the same cast of characters in horror one shots instead of everyone having an implausible amount of wealthy uncles to die and leave you spooky mansions. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's you have look for this organization. They give you missions. The missions are horror. Go. Uh, so, like, on a metal level, that's that's why Delta Green exists. In-universe, it's because the FBI discovered, oh, shit, monsters are real. Uh, <laughs> we should probably do something about that. Yeah. And this is this is a personal thing, but I kind of... I, I'm not crazy about the, the, the idea that, oh, the FBI knows this shit's real. I prefer it's more... The FBI knows something is fucked up, and they know you're good at dealing with it, so go deal with it instead of special team devoted to fighting horrors from beyond time and space. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it it, it can. Uh, let's see. I, I I would say that working for the government conspiracy, even though it's like government conspiracy is usually like the evil bad guy trope. It's sort of a power fantasy. Yeah, I like um, personally. I like the way Caleb handled it with. Uh, uh, I can't remember what their handler's name was in uh, God's Team. Yeah, you know I like, I like, uh, yeah, I like the way he handled it with that, where he's like, look, something, this is fucked up shit, I don't want to know too much about it, just do what you do. Like, yeah. I, I prefer that. In, in some ways, the uh, like, 
uh, the Leia laundry novels, let's be honest, aren't that good. But uh, I think the laundry as a setting definitely handles the government conspiracy part of our government conspiracy a lot better. Like, there's a lot of bureaucracy in the laundry. Nice. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so uh, what would you say uh, would distinguish uh, – I hope that didn't pick up on my, my computer went bitterly bomb. Uh, what would you say distinguishes a Call of Cthulhu game from a Delta Green game, considering they ostensibly take place in the same universe and drawn vastly the same material? Uh, I'd say that a Delta Green game is going to be generally darker than a Call of Cthulhu game. Uh, just by the nature of, you know, the things you're dealing with. I mean, it's the same kind of monsters, obviously, but, you know, people now are a lot more fucked up than they were in the 20s, I guess, or at least you hear about it a lot more. Yeah, I would I would definitely say, like, history history is not short of, of bloodbaths and monsters. Uh, yeah, you just hear a lot more about it now. I think it's the framing device that you use, and also... Um, it's an excuse to go out and do things. So, like, as you mentioned beforehand, you don't have the wrench out and cool passing away, and you go check out the estate, and there's a bunch of fucked up shit there. Instead, you have this job that just keeps essentially treating you like meat, shoving you into a grinder, and just wearing you down to your absolutely nothing. And I think that is the most frightening part of it from someone like most of us or, that are holding down a job. It's This is what you do. And you're doing some really screwed up stuff that is killing you. But, you know. If you don't do it, no one is going to. Yeah. And, yeah, no one's going to do it. This is your baby. And the whale's already been tainted. You've already seen too much. And if you're lucky enough to just walk away from this, you're not going to go out and buy a house in the Poconos and retire to some really nice kind of deal. It's it's probably going to ruin any relationships you have. Yeah. So you even get rid of those classes that you do have in Call of Cthulhu, such as the rich dilettante and stuff like that. You, you know, you had the FBI, the CIA, you had military branches all the way down to, and this is what I like about Delta green is uh, you can even with the book itself, you can kind of create your own class. They've got their defaults and they've got some kind of default stats and stuff like that you could do. But if, say, you wanted to go out and create a paranormal investigator that is working for Phenomics or stuff like that, the tools are available in the book to kind of... Yeah, class is kind of a a loaded term there. I mean, Delta Green is is a a refinement of Call of Cthulhu, so it's a a skill-by system, really, and it's just these uh, recommended skill packages for playing a federal agent versus playing a police officer. I think something that does make it that is quite important in Delta Green is that it tries to be contemporary. It tries to be of the time it is set in. So that's why I was so talking about how Delta Green's origins was when X-Files and ufology was a big thing in the late 90s. So um, the meta plot of the original setting of Delta Green is to do with the, the Mego, who are Lovecraft's like alien, main, main alien bad guys. Well, they only really turn up in, the, in um, Whisperer or whatever. Uh, and so a lot of that is about you know, the, the Roswell alien um, hybrids, Alex Jones in InfoWars stuff with the Cthulhu mythos behind that as well. And then when they came out with the new Delta Green dedicated system, that was in, yeah, about 2015. So post 
uh, well into the war on terror. Who cares about ufology anymore? And so they revised a lot of that. The Migo are a much smaller and different threat. The scope is more global now because Delta Green is more about uh, counterterrorism and intelligence, whereas before it was more about law enforcement and being an FBI agent. So yeah, um, definitely like trying to keep... And, and Lovecraft was writing of the time stuff as well. Like, um, as I said, the, the Migo, The Whisper in Darkness, was written just after the discovery of Pluto. And there was, that was, that's Yogoth. Yogoth is Pluto. Uh, so he was writing science fiction of the time. Yeah. And personally, I kind of like the move away from the Migo because just on a personal level, I think they're kind of a lame antagonist. Hmm. But that's, you know, that's a personal taste. I agree with you. I, I didn't, if, if I was a bit older, I would probably, because my dad was really into the X-Files. Yeah. And I've, I've tried to get into the X-Files, but as I say, it, it it's it's getting into like by that point a dead show. Well, I mean it's come back. But you know what I mean. Uh, at a cultural milieu that's not there anymore with this ufology crop circles, little gray men shit, and it's like, well, that's not relevant to yeah. my worldview. That's why for if I was gonna pull from X Files episodes, I would go more than Monster of the Week episodes because a they tend to be stronger and b they're less zeitgeisty of the time. Yeah. Like Home. Home is a super fucked up episode, but uh. It's not important right now. Uh, it's yeah. It's I I like I like that the modern Delta Green is its own thing now, and it's not. Well, the government's totally working for the Migo or working with the Migo. Also, you're going to fight Migo a whole lot. I feel like it's sort of carte blanche to use as many different Lovecraft things as you want now, because you're not trying to fit into a central theme. If that makes sense. Yeah. So. If we're talking about scenario creation, the obvious things that we're looking at here is you're looking at a one-shot versus a campaign. Now, the fun part about a one-shot scenario is these players, much like, well, I wouldn't say the players, but the fun thing about a a one-shot campaign is that you have disposable characters. You're not going to use them again. You don't care if you go in there and just burn yourself down to a husk of a human being. And... This whole element of the one-shot in Delta Green makes it much more lethal of a scenario, and players are going to be taking risks that they they wouldn't necessarily take otherwise, as opposed to the campaign, which, much like any other kind of campaign, you would have like this wide, overarching story that you're trying to tie together, so it's a little bit more of a slow burn, but on the bright side, Something else is slow burning is your character's sanity, health, and well-being. I think those are the ones that I enjoy. I can't actually say that I've ever played in a Delta Green campaign. Hint, gentlemen. Hint, gentlemen. Hint, gentlemen. But I, I, can, t- I can tell you that in the stuff that I've listened, like, say, for example, with the Delta Green campaign that Ross Payton ran on RPPR, Caleb Stokes ran, God see there, the seeing where the characters were and then where they were at the very end of it was a very, you know, interesting thing. So when you're going about creating your scenario, you know, need to determine whether it's going to be a single serving or are you going to have to stretch this out, so to speak? Yeah, I think think there is an almost nihilistic glee when you're going like, it's a one shot. I don't have to care. 
Uh, <laughs> like, oh, that, that, that basement is clearly haunted and full of tentacles. I'm still going to go into it. Um, but at the same time, like for a long form, one of the things that Delta Green does, and I think uh, is really good for playing into a certain genre, is the bond system, which is it uses your character's relationships, like their marriage, their children, um, their parents, whatever, as armor for their mental health. And, and so as you're going through and you're seeing all these terrible things, either you're getting worse or you're not connecting to your family. Uh, and that's great if you like police dramas and like uh, Scandinavian crime, because how many times does that turn up in those movies like uh, or, or those shows? Like, this is the case that makes daddy drink. This, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm missing my wife's anniversary dinner because I have to catch the murderer. You know, so even if you remove the mythos and you want to do like a gritty police procedural. I would use Delta Green. Uh, okay, so we've got sort of those components, uh, obviously elements of the mythos. We want some modern seeming, even if it's not literally like still bloodily ripped from the headlines, and then some element of like, well, where does the government bureaucracy element come in? How does how does the, the conspiracy learn of it? Yeah. So do we want to sort of break down the different scenarios we've done? Well, i tell you what, if you wouldn't mind spearheading this horse here, I will also link this actual play in our show notes from what you ran previously here. Sure. Um, so uh, if I remember specifically like why Pelagic exists, I think it was because I was asked to run something. I was like, I have to write something because I don't want to run something that's been pre-written. And so I went digging for uh, weird events to use. That's, that's rooted in reality, but weird and real to use as a seed. And I remember the death of Gareth Williams. Uh, and I figured Americans might not know so much about that. Gareth Williams was uh, a member of GCHQ, which is our NSA, our code breakers. Uh, and he was killed by probably the Russians, but, and he was found in his apartment in London, uh, sealed in a duffel bag, which he obviously couldn't have, you know, zipped up from himself and died because he was bound. So spy in a bag, obvious foul play. And I was like, okay, that's, a good weird seed. I'll, I'll make it a little more overtly supernatural to get Delta Green involved. Where do I go from there? And so I, I at that point, was listening to a lot of podcasts like Tannis. I think Rabbits had just wrapped up. This is a very meta thing, but I was kind of pissed off at how they all of those um, mystery narrators had the moment of like, well, I can't stop because something. I don't know why I keep going on despite it being such an obviously bad idea. And then something little back in my head went, because it's a trap. Uh, and I, I had I had this image of, and, and if you read like the Delta Green take on the King in Yellow mythos, is that certain information is literally hazardous. Just this 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 knowledge, this this uh, book is like brain poison. So I was like, okay, what if it's not the King in Yellow, but it's something else that hunts by information, but it's more like uh, an anglerfish. It's a it's a, an ambush predator. Uh, and it, it seeds your mind with this infective information, and then you you walk into its mouth. Uh, I went digging through the mythos, uh, well, through Wikipedia articles on summaries of, of Lovecraft stuff, because it's been a, a while since I'd read most of it. Uh, and I came across uh, Bukrug from The Doom That Came to Sarnath, uh, and I read across that and thought, oh, that's weird. Why did this inciting incident happen? Well, because it was a trap that Bukrug set. So, okay, that, there's my villain. Um, and it's like, okay, I've got this, this starting point, I've got this end point in uh, Sarnath in the Dreamlands. 
And then it was just a matter of populating it with some contemporary seeming stuff. So that's why I worked in like ARGs and the deep web. Uh, I wanted there to be some material threats. So I gave the Krug a few um, mortal agents wandering around. Uh, and then I ran it as a demo for my quote unquote home group before uh, I ran a few guys. I had a, I had a couple of things out uh, and then run it here. So uh, yeah, that, that's sort of the basic process of, of real world thing, contemporary issues, and then a bit of mythos at the end. Okay. So with with your actual mythos, this is another thing that I kind of want to touch on as we go through <laughs> scenario creation. You can stick with what Lovecraft and those uh, other authors that have added to it, you know, such as Derelith and so forth and so on. Or you could actually go about uh, creating your own. And I assume, like, was, like, remind me if I'm wrong on this, but you kind of went with something more original in this scenario. Is that correct? It was a different take on Bakurik, um, because the Doom of the Came to Sarnath is just like a history. It's okay. like, here's the history of a city. There was a city on a lake, and then the people killed some monsters, and then the god went, I don't like that you kill my monsters. Your monsters now. The end. Uh, not, not his best. So I just took basically the fact like Bakurik was a thing, um, body of water, uh, <laughs> a reptile thing, and then like, Punishment and then expanded on the Dreamlands. I'm not in general a fan of the Dreamland stories. Yeah. Uh, so, like, nothing, I don't think anything in there was entirely original, original, but it was tweaked and twisted enough that I think, I think no one saw the Doom. Well, maybe, I think I might have broadcast one word, like Sarnath or, um, or, or another name, some, some a bit earlier than I should have, one of the names of the Dreamland cities. But I don't think anyone got that it was the Doom that came to Sarnath until quite well into the scenario yeah okay cool aaron you got anything to add on this one uh no i mean that's that's just a really good way i think to go about it and it worked i mean you inadvertently turn players against each other too so <laughs> you know inadvertently? Uh, fair enough <laughs> it may have been i, I, I had rules for what happens if like the players have read the infected information that made them want to walk into the monster's mouth, and some of you did. That's a good point. Well, no, I meant, you know, Blizzard. That's that's more what I was referring yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. But, no, yeah, I think that's a good a good start, is just thinking of something and going, oh, okay, I could do something with that. Okay. I'd like to add to you just some stuff that I've been kicking around, gentlemen, here. So it, this is, I, the way I see this podcast working, for the rest of the, you know, this particular episode, at least, is that we're just going to more or less spend this time bouncing ideas out. So I would like to be the first one to offer up some stuff to you gentlemen. Mm-hmm. So if I were going to run a game for you, you, uh, pretty much anyone in our group, is somewhat familiar with Lovecraft creation. So, you know, it wouldn't be too hard for you to pick up a Migo, not Amigo, yeah, Amigo or anything like that. Now, and I, my wife laughed at me when I was doing this, by the way, but you know because she supports me. But there's a wild pale green had a, a contest, and I was trying to get a scenario written up and try to play test it. And I remembered, hey, I'm a father, and I don't have time to do shit anymore. Except you know, I wanted to I wanted to do something different, and I was looking for inspiration. And for some reason, and this is for you old school PC gamers out there, there was a game that came out in the uh, 90s. It, it just had a 20th year anniversary a couple years back called Gabriel Knight, Sense of the Father. Are, are any of you all familiar with it? 
not that particular. I've heard of Beast Within. Okay. So I know of Gabriel Knight. But anyway. They made three games. I was thinking of the first one, which was laying the groundwork. And the main character in that game was, you know, we're going to use uh, this nice exotic German language, so forth, was like for us. The Schottenjager, he was a shadow hunter. So as I was going through like this trail of like this thought of this game and stuff like that, the patron saint of Gabriel Knight was St. George. So I went from thinking about St. George and the dragon. So it's like, well, you know what? Dragons would be great. So maybe I could take the Trail Cthulhu system and twist it around and do something with the dragon. So which that in turn led me to start considering the uh, Holy Wars. And I thought that would be a great little something to set a game in. Now, mind you, this is not Delta Green, but we're still dealing with mythos. And so I got my mom, I got my idea, St. George and the Dragon. So I know that I'm going to be dealing with something that's a dragon. And I know that it's like knights and stuff like that. So I start looking at this particular Holy War setting. And, you know, lo and behold, as I went through my research and I literally had to pick up a few books that I owned and I was going through this, I found the, the creature of the Ligor, which the Ligor can turn itself yeah. into like a dragon or a giant lizard or stuff like that. So I was thinking, well, wouldn't this be cool if this whole myth of St. George and the, and the dragon was a mythos thing? And so once I had this whole ideal set up, I got my beginning point, I got my end point, and then all I had to do was start filling in the dots, so to speak. So I had like Ligor's caves underground, stuff like that. So I started looking at, if I'm not mistaken, I'd have to dig through my notes that are on another PC, but... I believe I was looking at um, Lithuania, which would have been en route to the Holy Wars. And yeah, St. George has... Um, sorry to interrupt, but I, I did some research into St. George for a, a Monster of the Week character who was descended from St. George. And St. George is he's strongly associated with, with England, but he never... If he ever set foot in there, it's, it's only recorded in myth. Yeah. He was a Syrian, Roman, Greek, Palestinian? Like... And then, like, he probably headed into Eastern Europe okay. at one point because Romans. So, like, there were, there were, he's, he's, there's lots of shrines to him all over. It's perfectly plausible that, like, you could have a, a shrine to St. George somewhere in, like, Lithuania or Romania and have that be the site of the fight with the dragon. Yeah. And awesome. I, di- I didn't realize he actually was in English. The cool thing about this, folks, so if you're, if you're keeping Tao at home, I got my concept, fighting the dragon. I've got my setting so it's going to be you know lithuania it's going to be during the holy war so all i had to do at this point was start looking into this particular lovecraftian creature which was not created by lovecraft who was it the gentleman who created that again colin wilson i think it's a relatively modern one okay yeah it was 60s i even that was the best thing man i told you i got excited about this i was able to go like oh i have this story in an anthology so i pull out the book with the Something the Ligor. I can't. Maybe it's the sword. It's just called the Ligor. I can't remember. But I had that in the anthology. Yeah. Read it and then so forth. So I started looking at what the Ligor could do. It's like, well, one of the things that the Ligor could do was it could uh, cause huge mutations in people and like just mangle people up and stuff like that. So I was, as I was designing the scenario, I was going to have your the the player characters are part of a like you know, advanced guard for a larger force going in, and then they come across a battle scene, a battlefield that is just 
littered with corpses and it's only, you know, the holy warrior, the Europeans that were dead there and no one else. And then they start looking around, see that like the ground exploded from beneath, which is something the Lagors could do. I'll take them to a city. They'll start encountering some people that have some deformities and people that are another thing that Lagors could do is control people's minds. So I would, you know, probably put a corrupt political figure in this, in this city. And then maybe the people are extremely deformed. They could be almost like a leopard deal. And I would have them go from battlefield to city to lepers to boss battle with the Lagor. Now, I do want to apologize if I didn't realize as soon as I opened my mouth, I was going to start talking about Call of Cthulhu. But that's (laughs) just how I designed this particular scenario. I had an idea of... A concept. I had a starting point. I had an end point, and then I just started filling in the dot. Patrick, how about yourself or Aaron? If any one of you guys want to jump in, how would you? How do you go about creating an actual Delta Green scenario as opposed to Call of Cthulhu? <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I do think um, there is that, that modern and, and government thing that is quite important for Delta Green. So one of the things that uh, when I was I was reading around headlines looking for something that would spark, make a spark for this. Um, Okay, come with me on this journey. Okay. Um, we are trying to create new emojis for a universal warning system in the event of natural disasters. And so, like, wildfire is easy. It's like a tree covered in, in fire. And, like, flood is easy. It's just big water. We are having trouble explaining earthquake universally. Mm. Uh, so, like, the Japanese... Uh, when they have a, an earthquake warning, it's it's a picture of a catfish because there's this myth of a catfish underground that thrashes and that sort of makes the earthquake in their mythology. But yeah. obviously, like, that wouldn't work if you tried to warn, like, a Californian unless they were really well wed. Um, and that got me thinking about the Yucca Mountain problem, which is we need to somewhere to put all our nuclear waste. How do we communicate? And, and like, we need we need to communicate, like, this place is bad and danger. We need to communicate this place is bad and danger in such a, a way that, you know, maybe America gets nuked and, you know, the dominant language shifts from English to Spanish or something. So this warning signs can't be in Spanish. It can't be in English. Or, you know, maybe um, there's complete social collapse and, you know, a completely new language arises. So, OK, we, do we do do we do pictograms, but how do we do it universally? So like the, the Department of Energy, which Delta Green does tie into quite a bit has, and this is all true, over decades thrown millions of dollars into linguistics research and folklore and anthropology to try and find different solutions to this. And they have come up with some crazy shit. Um so like they've they've done like, okay, well let's do a Rosetta stone. That's fairly that's fairly easy. And then there's like, okay, well the screen, you know, that that distorted face is a pretty obvious bad sign. If we put that up on places, that communicates bad idea. Uh, and then there's like, well, what if we did these landscapes of like concrete thorns jutting out of the ground and these imposing angles and like, hang on. And then like, yeah, yeah. And then we can have this artificial myth propagated by a nuclear priesthood. And it's like, stop there. Stop. You've got a nuclear priesthood ro- ro- <laughs> ruling a landscape of concrete thorns. You're cultists. Shut <laughs> up. You're cultists. Uh, <laughs> so it's like, okay, okay. That's where the weirdness comes in. You know, that, that's that's a weird, real thing that you could use as the basis for a scenario. So um, I, I'd mold over how to tie that into the mythos one way. Um, 
I thought someone who who had this this Yucca Mountain problem might try to solve it if they knew a little about the mythos is with uh, the Elder Things. Because one explanation for how the Elder Things, like the people in the Mountains of Madness, can learn this advanced history um, of an alien species that doesn't even have the same number of lobes in their brain is because there's something in the rock itself and how they encode information that is just like psychic universal. Uh, and it communicates to them like this place is bad news and monsters are real. And <laughs> sorry, Danforth, so, sorry, uh, you're going to go and say that. <laughs> um, it's like okay, so what if there is like a bunker somewhere in like let's say the Arizona desert because that's near Yucca Mountain that someone has made this bunker for out of um, Elder Thing stone and they've put their like beginnings of the atomic priesthood down there. And then the world doesn't end. And like, if it's if it's let's say Majestic Twelve does this, and then in in two thousand and one, uh, Majestic Twelve and Delta Green merge, uh, stuff gets lost, stuff moves around, and so you have this 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 splinter faction of people armed with like psychic rocks, and who and you've got this imposing temple that drives people away from it who don't entirely understand they're being driven away from it. I'm I'm still a little weak on the seed on how to bring people into it. Um, Probably something along the lines of, of images from the town have a, a weird occult uh, symbol to them, um, like the, the town nearest where the, the, the temple is. But no, I, I think there's seeds in it. I don't know, yeah, what do you guys think? That sounds great. It sounds yeah, it insane. But <laughs> Welcome to the Cold War, man. Like, this yeah. is what people were doing in the 80s. They were like, yeah, no, the Russians are going to kill us all, so let's like, manufacture mythology about why nuclear waste dumps are dangerous. <laughs> To be fair, the Russians might still kill all of us. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> Putin, if you're listening, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, uh, well, you know, since I switched to Podbean back in the beginning of January, I think that RPX has had 40 downloads from Russia. So I've doomed poss- us all. <laughs> <laughs> there's a possibility. So it, it seems like when you're when you're designing this Delta Green scenario. It sounds like you've painted everything except the actual individual encounters. Is that correct? Um, yeah, I, I find I want the the high concepts first, and then the mechanics come into that later. So, like when we were doing this brainstorming thing, I was definitely going like, "What's the big pictures stuff?" Rather than like, um, "I really like this scene in Sicario. How can I do this, but with deep ones?" You know? Yeah, yeah. That's cool. I like a concept, but I don't work necessarily with that sometimes stuff that pops into my head is more or less a scene and then i have to backtrack to where i can start stringing things together which i don't know if that's actually that great of an idea since it seems like you got just one linchpin for the whole thing that if it doesn't work out then you're up shit's creek so to speak um yeah i mean it, it, it i i kind of wanted it to be a relatively small thing i definitely had the temptation of like but i can tie this into it as well like that's probably too much yeah um but if it's just like here's a patch of arizona desert that's especially weird uh i did some research into arizona for a red markets game there's a lot of weird in in arizona yeah Uh, okay so let's just put another weird thing in arizona it probably won't stand out that much and like if if everyone dies in it like it's it's a it's a small picture thing it's just a cult uh, another thing I quite like about Delta Green is like you're not the only people who know about the mythos, and uh, people who do are kind of assholes and trying to profit from it and and kind of destroy themselves. So I was like, okay, well, you have this cult of like psychic mind control rocks 
and they're just using it to like rule over this little town. They've subverted this little town. Yeah. So like the stakes, like the stakes are just like the fate of the town, uh, rather than if you don't prevent the ritual, Cthulhu yeah. rises. And that's like okay for if you're doing like a, a campaign, like a, a, a refresher episode, you know. Yeah. Uh, if it was if it was a one shot, you might want bigger stakes. If it was the end of the campaign, you'd want bigger stakes. But no, I definitely wanted to be a relatively small thing where if you die, it's not the end of the world, but it sucks. Yeah. So Patrick, sometimes of course there's a lot of great resources out there that one can turn to, just the news and how fucked up our world is for inspiration. But sometimes I find myself going with things that scare the shit out of me. And even actually while recording this, as I was thinking of the next thing I was gonna say. It occurred to me that my claustrophobia is very present in the stuff that I think of and I'm working on in my head and so forth. So, and I will include this link in the show notes. I, some of the things that I look for inspiration on is in YouTube. You can, it's easy to go in there and just like one channel that I particularly enjoyed looking at just because they got a lot of fucked up things and it's like a list and it's really quick and stuff like it is dark five and no, you know, you can find stuff, topics such as five unexplained mysteries or five unexplained murders or just like a big top five list of just uncomfortable stuff. And while I look at YouTube for stuff like that, I also sometimes delve into the realm of creepypastas that people record and stuff like that. And I found a link uh, several months back, but it was called Confessions of a Deep Sea Diver. Mm-hmm. And it's just this nice little 24 minute creepypasta of just this man's experiences being a deep sea diver underwater and things like that. And just the oddities that he saw, for example, one of, and tying it back to my fears, I'm not scared of the water, but I'm claustrophobic and there's nothing more claustrophobic to me than being stuck in a big suit under several, several, several feet of water in the dark. That like as I talk to you about this right now, I feel like <laughs> I feel kind of constricted. You know what I mean? But so things like this kind of interest me in a tormenting way. But in this video that I was that I'll be posting links to, they go into a story where a naval aircraft crashes underneath the water, and they send a recovery team to retrieve the hardware. And when the deep sea divers get underneath the get to the wreck underneath they radio up at the top and tell headquarters whoever's in charge that the ship is fine i mean the airplane is fine but the canopy's intact which means that when the airplane went down into the water then the pilot didn't eject but there's no pilot in the airplane so what do you do with that kind of deal so it's like a nice little creepy story that you could tie into other things like i said i like thinking about my fears so I, I think about my children and how important they are to, to me and how there's things out there that scare me to death. I mentioned two guys in passing that during the last big shooting over here in America, it really sucks that I had to say the last, but yeah. I, I picked up my daughter from kindergarten and she started telling me about what she's supposed to do when the Batman comes to her school. And it really, that kind of stuff fucks with me. So, when yeah, I wasn't thinking, that that, um, do you see the thing, I think it was Massachusetts, the twinkle, twinkle, little star, and it's like, lockdown, lockdown, hit the floor. It's like, we're like Jesus Christ. Yeah. This is the bleakest timeline. Yeah. And have a five-year-old say it to you in the back of the car, and they're telling you about someone walking in there and shooting at the place, and it's just so detached from them. So 
I think about children and how that I feel vulnerable. And I mentioned to Aaron a horrible idea. And Aaron, (laughs) when I say horrible, I mean it's fearful (laughs) and great, but it scares the shit out of me. And that's why I kind of, if this were a football game, I knew I was getting ready to get tackled by my own inhibitions. So I went ahead and handed the football back to you, which is a legal play in American football. So you can keep running. So what have you been thinking about, buddy? Like what you were just talking about with your kids or yeah, with, ch- with children and Delta Green? Okay, Patrick. So I had an idea once. It's almost too horrible to actually say. So he won't. The end. <laughs> so you know how Delta Green handles pink and yellow infection? Uh, with a forty-five caliber round. Yeah. Now imagine a daycare center is somehow given a bunch of copies of The King in Yellow, but translated into a coloring book. Oh, have you ever read The Fall of Cthulhu comic? I have not. Because there is a, it, it has an overarching plot, but it, it breaks down into one shots in places. And one of the um, one shots, and I think it's Apocalypse Arc. As it sort of takes a break in the main narrative to be like, things are falling apart and going bad everywhere, and it zooms in on one point. And it is a uh, an elementary school who's um, who's putting on the king in yellow. It's been like translated like like kid kid tier dramatics. That's what that idea makes me think. And so like it's from the perspective of this like kind of absentee father who's um why is it maybe the mother? Um and anyway and, and like from this perspective of, like the kid coming in and then like oh I'm, I'm late for the kids' recital and like oh wait why are the doors locked? Why is the theater on fire? Uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry, it, yeah I, I do have to go on. No, you're good. It just kind of became uh, it just kind of became a question of how like how are your players going to handle that? Like yeah, no, I, I definitely think like kids are a line, and and I think it is yeah. creepy, but it's also because it's quite a sensitive line that it's the sort of thing that yeah, exactly. in, like X cards and triggers and whatever that you might have. But I like like I had I had a similar idea of like um, tying into the the creepy thing of the kids uh, invisible friend because. Yeah. Like, his kids' invisible friends are just fucking creepy because they always got like the weird name, like this is my friend Gleeblop. His hands are made of knives. Like what? Okay. Uh, yeah, <laughs> he just, watches me while I sleep. That's that's bad. In in the current climate, I honestly don't think you could do that scenario anymore. No. Like I didn't think about that till just now, but I was like, there's no way. Like even if you don't just walk in and start, you know. You'd have to be very confident of the group you were doing it with, I think. Yeah, yeah, and it's like, because, I mean, you know, part of it's going to be figure out where it came from. Are they going to do this more? But, you know, there's always that fear of, oh, they're just going to walk in with, you know, nine millimeters and take care of the problem. And I know for a fact uh, there is one member of our group that would just not play it. Uh Oh, I thought you were going to go the other way. I thought you were going to say, like, there's one person who'd be, like, way too into it, and his name is Darth. Um. <laughs> no, I I know Chris has a thing with kids, so I, I just yeah. don't think he would, he would. And I honestly, I don't know if I'd be able to run it in good consciousness. Um, horror in general requires a very, like, it requires that level of awareness, right? It needs to go, like, yeah. this is uncomfortable, but this might be too much. So I'm going to abstract it or have it at a remove somehow. I think so like a, lot, a lot of monsters are like fear for the kids, but it's it's got this this fantasy element of like it's a demon or or, or ghosts or something that like t- 
takes the genuine fear of like, oh, my children, and, and puts it like at a slightly more comfortable, slightly further removed. So I, I definitely think you could do it, like I say, if it was if if you figured out that, that step. See, I was just thinking like you could have an agent intercept a copy of it before it gets to the daycare, and then and then you track, okay, uh, where is it coming from? And yeah. then you also you also have players worrying about well I mean it depends on how familiar they are with DG but so they may or may not know about the second shadow team that's following them as they deal with a king and yellow outbreak. Yeah. You could also take the step of like for kids um, like the idea of like this this reality warping thing. I mean they're kids so their idea of reality isn't entirely set anyway, and they're yeah. very young so like memory hasn't quite set so like. Sorry, Mrs. Henderson, you're probably gonna have to die. But Billy, if we can get to him, yeah. yeah. If, if if you frame it as like we need to delve into this this twisted place and like get the kids out and then like isolate them and and hopefully they'll be fine. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to coming in and kill them, you know. Yeah. There's all, you could also just do that as as a Call of Cthulhu scenario where you're playing as the kids. Yes. But. I think the thing that we're hitting at with this is that for the to avoid going to the bridge too far, what we need to do when you're designing a Delta Green scenario definitely is place the threat or the fear of something horrible happening, but at the same time, it's never going to happen in your game, so to speak. We've seen this with other games that we've you know either played in or listened to and things like that, where some horrible, horrible thing is hinted at. And for most of us, that's just enough. So, for example, you as you mentioned beforehand, you intercept. Uh, somehow something is made public, is intercepted, that contains this mythosy element. You know, the children have not had the full brunt of it. So there, there's this hope, but at the same time, there's this overlining, looming threat and, you know, when you do a topic like that or a subject like that, you're going to definitely have your players go all in trying to take it out, so to speak. I've got another scenario idea involving. So, you know, I live in Texas. I don't live near the border, mm-hmm. but the border is certainly a thing here. And as you know, drug dealing or, well, you know, the drug business trade, whatever you want to call it, is very big in in Mexico and, you know, right on the, the, uh, the American side of the border. So I don't, like, I don't have a concrete idea of what to do yet, but I was thinking, I'm getting, I'm assuming you guys know what Santa Muerte is. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I was thinking, and I think you could maybe do this as a Nearlithotep thing. What if the Santa Muerte has been re- replaced by another, a new patron God or whatever? Or just some, something they pray to, but this one actually, like, there's tangible results. Yeah. Um, I, I know in, I think it's Delta Green Countdown, the Zeta the Cartel are tied to the Cult of the Worm, who, no. are, who are purely original. They're just, like, people who fade out. They can yeah. be immortal by... Uh, the worms are fucked up. Yeah, they're in, they're in a symbiotic... It's, it's a very body horror. They're in a symbiotic relationship with these pan-dimensional parasite tapeworms, basically. And it, like, yeah. really hurts for them, so they, they set up this relationship of, like, with, with drug dealers, and they're like, oh, wait, drugs make a lot of money, so we can fund our, like, painkiller habits and be immortal and, and funnel drugs. So, yeah, I'm not sure 
what happened to them in um, New DG. So you might want to have a look at that. Um, but certainly, like, you could have a- another cult come in and supplant that area of the drug trade. Yeah. That's one of the things, like, we're working in a setting, so, like, sometimes you might have to pay lip service to at least, even if you're not being completely. Like, 100% this is who runs the cult out of that. But you could, you could at least pay lip service to it. Yeah. And I like I like the idea of scenarios or even campaigns taking place in more uh, in like extremes and secluded areas, I guess, which is why I set that one in Alaska. Yeah. Because yeah. I think there's a lot of stuff you can do in Alaska because there's a lot of places you can do shit there without being noticed. I mean, one of the, the good things about uh, New DG and the, the difference between the program and the group, the program being tied in with like intelligence and the military a lot more is you're not even restricted to America. Yeah. Like, American, America does, like, covert op shit all over the world. I, I've, I've been banging my head over an idea around, like, something going on in North Korea, but I'm, I'm hitting that, like, real-world thing of, like, yeah, but North Korea is just really sad, though. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> how, do, how do I, like, put a, a tentacle monster in North Korea and not come off as, like, exploiting real human rights issues? But... There's that uh, there's that idea I talked to you about, Patrick, about that city in Alaska that's basically in a single building. Oh, right. Like an oncology. Yeah. Oh, hang on. Did you mention this? Uh, uh, a while ago. Yeah, it was a long time ago. I talked to you about it on the group me, but uh, or on group me. Uh, vampires. Not like not mythos <laughs> things. Just it's a little 30 days of night, but that's basically the perfect place for. A also, single yes, building. it is mythos. Charles Dexter Ward has vampires. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're no, you're good. I just meant like I you could do vampires without tying it into the mythos. Yeah, yeah. Because that's basically a perfect time or a perfect place and environment for. Yeah, that is a good environment for them. So one of the other ideas I had, um, going back to like talking about ideas, and bringing it back. So one of the I think important things about setting something in the modern day or setting something in, in a in a real world time period where like real terrible stuff happens but also there are monsters yeah. is that you can't have the Nazis have secretly been vampires the whole time kind of thing. So like if you look at classic DG, a lot of its roots were in like fighting the Nazi occult secret society, but it wasn't that like Hitler wasn't secretly Nyarthota. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've been trying to think of how to handle uh, ISIS and Daesh, however you want to call them. Yeah. And I, I kind of like the idea that they are just mucking things up in the Middle East. Like, they, they, they're, they're not connected to any mythos organization, but they're just running around smashing shit because they're, they're engaged in, like, um, what's it called? Uh, iconoclasty. Like, if it's not, you know, if, if, it, if it's a cultural relic, it has to be hit with a sledgehammer, right. basically. And, like, um, Glancy has a scenario just like, yeah, we, we did that thing, and, and then we, oops, let out a monster. Yeah. Uh, uh, I can't remember what it was called, but I know which one you're talking it about. It was called Dead Clock Class. That's yeah. Um, so I, I wanted to do something set in Syria where roving bands of Daesh, well, short terrorists, um, are a threat, but they are not the mythos threat. Like, they, they are the extra wrinkle on top. Yeah. Uh, my, my idea for that was, um, again, a recent uh, article was about how we've figured out a way to using lasers, study these really ancient texts without having to destroy them and see the, the palimpsests underneath. Yeah. Um, which is when, uh, because paper used to be really expensive, they would like write on it and then like, eh, I'm bored of this, cover it up and write on top of it again. Um, 
and it's hard to see underneath without destroying the document majorly. And we have these like there was it was, a, it was an article about these like this project to document like thousands of documents in this monastery in Sinai. So it's Egypt, not Syria, whatever. Yeah. Um, so so the idea would be like a Miskatonic University uh, anthropological you know cultural cultural mission with like you know quote, quote unquote like private security who are provided by you know Delta Green uh, guys being sent in to identify and and secure and preserve these these texts before uh, ISIS can put them on a bonfire basically uh, and like you've got the the internal strife of like the academics are there because you know we've got to preserve the history in the museum and then like the Delta Green guys are there because well, what if one of these is a mythos book? You know, what if what if there's a page of the Necronomicon that's been palimpsested over, uh, and we need maybe we need to do some some burning stuff? And then like, well, what if that book tells us something terrible? Uh, and then you know you have to get get out and get safety. Yeah, uh, which would be a bit more I think action oriented as a game. I um, I would I would draw on things like um, the Kingdom that Jamie Fox and Jennifer Garner movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then maybe you know some more modern world slash spy movies like Zero Dark Thirty, The Hurt Locker, maybe. Yeah. I don't know, what, what do you what do you think? I think that sounds cool. Like you said, it would be uh, it would be more action oriented, but I think it would be fun to play in. And I think it would be I think it would be important to let players choose whether they wanted to be the students or if they wanted to play an agent. Mm. Oh, just had a thought. You could tie it into the Hobby Lobby thing. Oh my god! Oh, Remember when the hobby, the, 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 the was it the Christian family craft store was funneling black market antiquities yeah. because obviously, like so, of course. <laughs> oh, so here's your here's your Delta Green scenario right here. Here's another thing I want to jump in real quick and mention too. If you sign up to the Delta Green Facebook group, Shane Ivy and company will drop very bizarre news stories that lead themselves to Delta Green conspiracies just almost on a daily basis, it seems like. But And I think they even dropped the thing in about Hobby Lobby. So you got, <laughs> you got Hobby Lobby that's important, all these ancient relics. And you also, there was an article that showed up in the news a couple years ago about how at the University of Kentucky, I'll mention it because, you know, it's near me. But the University of Kentucky had actually was playing with technology that would allow them to retrieve information from damaged ancient tech. Tell what, you know, you could even have a Delta Green scenario that starts with the framing device of we got this stuff from Hobby Lobby <laughs> and we're getting ready to send it back to the correct people. And we check this out and oh, fuck, look what we found. Yeah. So, and then you jump over to something that could be even zero dark 30 if you wanted to. If you look at this kind of stuff, you you remember these little tidbits that you see. And then sometimes, like as we were speaking right now, the puzzle pieces just come together and there's your scenario. I, I like the idea that in like the, the structure of it, like it starts off fighting IS and then like, Things escalate to Hobby Lobby, like assault on, <laughs> assault on the Hobby Lobby. That's when shit gets real. <laughs> like, like the, the Syrian terrorists were like the beginners, and then like you're gunning down Ethel in in, in war because she's you know crying blood and screaming about the stars being right. Uh, and like you need to. Oh, a creepy book thing that I, I I think is cool and and would like to work into it is Anthropodermic Bibliopagy. 
which is the fancy science way of saying books bound in human skin. <laughs> but, um, it's a thing. It happens more often than you'd think. A, a lot of um, archival science goes into like, because a lot of books have the bad reputation, a lot of there is a project in like verifying that. Yeah. A lot of those books that they verified are in Providence, Rhode Island. Oh, no. <laughs> Which is Miskatonic country. So, oh, you know, no. There's even exam- an example I found of a book which is Autoanthropodermic Bibliopagy. Oh, Jesus. A book bound in the skin of the writer. Speaking of, did you guys see that news story about that guy that cut chunks of his own leg off, cooked them, and served them to friends, I think, in tacos? <laughs> no. I am not making that up. Was this man in Florida? Man, this is probably... I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> Let me check. Man carves up... Fuck, I don't know how to search this. Carves up leg. Why not? Man eats uh, own leg? Yeah. I, I, I like the fact that you were talking about Winnie the Pooh being bound in human flesh, and then we went to Taco Bell, so it's just... <laughs> the, 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 book, the book that was bound in the, the author's flesh was the, the journal of a highwayman called James Allen. He had it bound in his own skin upon his death and presented to a man he robbed and liked how brave he was in, in during the robbery. Jeez. Which is which might be the most metal thing I've ever heard. Like Jesus but, Christ, man. But, I, I got I got one last thing for you, Patrick, and then we're gonna let Aaron jump boss, in here with this story. How boss do you have to be for someone to be like, I'm gonna write a book and then bind it in my skin <laughs> and give it to you? Like what how that that guy must have been amazing. Sorry. Oh, well, Look, pub- publishing is expensive. <laughs> oh Jesus. Uh <laughs> sorry. Wait, no, you're good. I was oh Jesusing part of this this article. So I found the Vice article. I'm gonna let you say what you wanted to say real quick, Adam. Uh, but so the headline is: This guy served his friends tacos made from his own amputated leg, and underneath that, in a quote from I guess from like the dude himself, someone did not did not give this some critical thought before they printed it. One friend had to spit me into a napkin. Anyway. <laughs> Go ahead, Adam. What were you going to say? Well, I was going to make a foreskin joke, but I'm going to move on to the next thing. (laughs) You know what would have been even better? If it was that article and then like a banner ad for Hannibal DVDs. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) So we've inadvertently creating a scenario here. I've got the linchpin for Now I'm using that word too much. Here's the thing that I want to add to our scenario that we're developing right now. We checked the DNA of the weird book. Right, yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, through like one, two, three, me or whatever kind of hereditary like websites where you know you spit in a glass and you mail it to them and they tell you where you're originated from, yeah, we start getting some like it's odd DNA, but all of a sudden it's cross referenced with that, and then all of a sudden we we've tied in that whole aspect to where oh no I, I thought you were gonna say like oh yeah we DNA swab it and then we get a hit on Aethys and he was just arrested for a GUI. And the, book was written, and the book was written and bound in like 1874, but this guy was arrested like last week. Like That's what? fucked up. I like it. Either way. <laughs> I like the phrase, hey, you know, you spit in a glass, you send it off. They tell you where you're from. <laughs> okay, and, and one last weird thing. Um, I fe- Well, one last uh, news article that got me thinking weird thoughts. Um, we've recently put up in the European Space Agency, ESA, so not NASA, but ESA, 
uh, has, after something like 16 years of bureaucratic agony, finally set up a satellite called Aeolus, or we will soon anyway. The point of Aeolus is to use lasers to map the wind as it moves in the atmosphere. And I thought, okay, that's a good, like, setup for, and then we found a horrible thing. Like, we were mapping something. So uh, in terms of Mythos, I think I'm going to tie it into the things from From Beyond, the things that you can only see through the Tillingast array, these these squamous, amorphous blob things. Yeah. Uh, and then to tie it in with some real-world weirdness, have you guys ever heard of Star Jelly? No, I have not. I can't say that I have. So every so often, um, goo appears on, like, fields. Okay. Um, and, and everyone sort of goes like, why is there goo on my garden? I don't want there to be goo. Uh, and so, like, there's been um, a lot of, um, like, Charles Fort wrote about it. Uh, reports have been coming in, like, you know, well into the two, like, the 2010s. Scientific theory is, like, it's, like, decaying. There's a few different explanations. There's, like, decaying fungus and um, the bits of a frog that a predator didn't like to eat and has thrown them up. But, yeah, it, it's this this translucent grayish white gelatin like goo that like tends to evaporate not long after being uh discovered it, it doesn't stay around for very long uh it's been it's been written about for centuries and it's still not entirely understood so it's like okay what if like and then like there's um a, god i forget what it's called there's a fictional story um which is basically like set in the early days of of um man flight like someone flies up and discovers this uh, airborne jungle, so to speak, of these these sort of sky jellyfish up there. I think it might have even been a cut on, uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle story uh, inspired on it. And, and the, the idea is that these things that live up there fall out the sky and become star jelly on our on our ground. Um, so I like the idea that maybe someone up there is uh, like shining lasers through it to identify these these star jellies, or in doing so, angers them and prompts an attack somewhere. Uh, and you get sort of more of a more of a monster movie thing, or like there's a town that comes under siege from these star jellies because it's just where the you know the the satellite happens to be shining at the moment. Yeah, I don't know. What do you think? That sounds like fun. I, I like the idea of just you get a blip on the on the radar of some mythosy thing that you don't you can't see with your own eyes. I dig that. And you could go with the star jelly, or you could go with it, what Ithaca or anything like that. That. Yeah, anything tied to wind. Um, I mean, Hasto was is connected to the wind. If you want to go into like the Lethian um, elementalism. Yeah, I dig that, man. I really do. Yeah, that's pretty much how you would create a Delta Green scenario. Look, look at the news that's going on. Pick up the odd things, certain things that are going on in society, whether they be positive or negative, and take a different switch on it, such as you know, check your ancestry. And having it lead to Hobby Lobby, which would, you know, be mind-alteringly horrible and things like that. But uh, I'd like to do a couple quick shout-outs real quick. And I really only have one for myself here, just because I just got the Delta Green Handler's Guide. And I can't say enough good things about this book. I've been waiting for it forever. And if you're going to create a Delta Green scenario, this is definitely the tool for you. That's why it's called the Handler's Guide. But, for example, here's the thing, so... I'll tell you what I like about this, guys. It seems like the bulk of this is just background information. You can go over the past of Delta Green, where it starts as you know, P Division, on up to the stuff that occurs in the 60s. 
that caused Delta Green to be officially disbanded. It goes through the cowboy years. And even better than that, guys, and something I was particularly excited about when looking at it. I mean, you got your monsters, you got your all your other, you know, nice fun mythosy stuff, but it even goes over the outlaws. Something that I enjoyed reading about this is there's occasions the outlaws and the program have this weird little truce, so to speak. The outlaws are expecting to get the 45 caliber retirement, don't get me wrong, but there's even instances, apparently, it's the book mentions here, of uh, one agency turning the problem over to the others. So, for example, the outlaws can't handle it because they don't have the resources and the firepower that gets passed on to you, which could even be a nice seed itself. Yeah. You're with the program, and then all of a sudden, you receive anonymous information or your superior comes to you or, you know, they could even retrieve it from the body of an outlaw, so to speak, if they wanted to. But I just like it just, you know, you got your stats, you got everything, but it's just more of the background information that would be very informative if you were going to create. Oh, I think the opposite group. would be more fun, though. You're a bunch of group guys, and then, like, the well-dressed guy in the suit comes and says, okay, here's something. We don't want to deal with it. Bye. <laughs> like, And then he'd be like, okay, he's probably not telling us the whole story, but we know that this is probably legit. But it might also be a trap. Nah, indecision. Yeah. Uh, what do? What do indeed. So pick up the PDF at Drive Through RPG or Art Dreams website. I know I'll be reading it several evenings until I get it completed up here. It's, <laughs> it's my light reading before I go to bed and have nightmares. Buy their book. <laughs> Aaron, you got anything? Uh, yes, actually. I, last night, uh, acquired... Or no, it was the other night, but I put it on my, my Kindle last night. Acquired Dark Knight's Metal, which is a crazy-ass Batman crossover that happened recently. And it's kind of bonkers, but it's great. Uh, it's it's written by Scott Snyder, so if you like his Batman, you'll, you'll probably enjoy it. What's um, he crossing over to? It's, well, it's a, it's, it involves the Justice League and the Dark Multiverse. <laughs> Okay. Which all just sounds comic booky and dumb, but I love it because I'm a sucker for that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, there are, let's see, Lantern and Flash, Cyborg. There's like five evil Batman that have the powers of the Justice League, too. Oh, I Lord. I haven't gotten to them yet. Uh, but yeah, there's like Flash Batman, evil Flash Batman, evil Green Lantern Batman, uh, it's a whole thing, but I kind of love it just because of just because Scott Snyder went, yeah, fuck it, I'm gonna write the craziest thing I can think of, and God bless him, they gave him a blank check to do it. And I don't know if you guys remember me mentioning in the group meet, but uh, I've been wanting to run some kind of superhero game that's themed on like big crossovers like this or Crisis on Infinite Earths and stuff like that, and this is definitely really great inspiration for that sort of thing. And also the art is really good. So, you know, it's a good comic book. Uh, TLDR, give it a shot. Okay, shall I go next? Very things up, I will recommend some music. Uh, I will recommend An Empty Bliss Beyond This World by uh, The Caretaker, uh, which and then the sort of spin-off series of albums uh, called Everywhere at the End of Time. The, the, the Caretaker is a really interesting artist, he does what's called uh, plunder phonics. Basically, he got a bunch of like uh, big band vinyl records for super cheap, and uh, has 
taken those tracks and distorted and amped them and looped them in interesting ways. And the theme of the, the albums that I referenced are like dementia and gradual decline and nostalgia and melancholy. So it's, it's really oddly serene uh, hmm. things like the, the structured, the, the, the ever at the end time series is so the fiction is that the persona of the caretaker has recently been diagnosed with Alzheimer's and then each iteration of ever at the end of time. So it goes stage one, stage two, stage three with another stage coming out every few months. They're up yeah. to stage four. They're going to go to stage six. Um, gets those, those, I think, I think the idea is that those same tracks get more looped and distorted as the, the condition worsens. Um, so like the, the like high level stuff, it's very like depressing and sad, but like it's also just to listen to like really great ambient uh, stuff because it's echoey and atmospheric and it has that big brass smoky sound. Yeah. Um, it's, it's uplifting at the same time as being really downbeat. It's, it's a, it's an experience. Um, that's an empty bliss beyond this world and everywhere at the end of time by the caretaker. Are those on Spotify? I wouldn't know. I don't have it. Oh, They're okay. definitely on YouTube. Oh, okay, I'll have to check that, check that out then. If I can make one more recommendation, music for a DG campaign. And this okay. is mo- this is mostly music for like the end of your final session. Oh my where, god, I know where you're going with this. Keep where going. whoever survived is literally limping away from something on fire in the background. Uh, it's a band called Woods of Desolation, and the song is The Inevitable End. <laughs> and it's it's what's known as ambient black metal. So it's like really it's not super heavy music, but it's it's got kind of this epic but melancholy feel to it. Uh and there's like intermittent screams, but they're buried deep in the background of the mix, so it's it's not like super upfront and harsh. It's it's a really interesting sound. Aaron told me about this song probably since we started talking and I've downloaded the album and I've listened to it and it's actually on my cell phone right now, but it's one of these bands, Patrick, that there's no words being spoken. It's just screams. It's like the vo- the vocals are an instrument in and of itself. It's, it's well, unique. Yes, I know. I'm, I'm <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not that five-finger death punch metal. It's like it makes you want to drink monster energy drinks and watch MMA fighting. It's just... It's, kind of- it's very symphonic, and like I said, the vocals are way back in the mix. So it's it like I said, there's a reason it's called ambient black metal. Uh, oh. Torn Torn Beyond Reason is another uh, another good track by them. Well, the reason that I brought up um, every the time for this is because when I ran a, an original DG scenario for my group uh, that riffed on Carcosa and uh, that whole theme of like ruined beauty. So like the, the final monster was was Casilda. And so I had this like this thing in this like infinite ballroom, and she was this giant queen, and like her face was kind of made of cobwebs, and the crown she wore was collapsing. In, you know, this ruined splendor thing. One player just like sent me the link, and be like, "Yeah, that was that was playing in my head the whole nice. time." <laughs> you know, yes, it, that, that sounds really cool. It also yeah. sounds like you described the Bloodborne boss, but <laughs> in the best way possible. Yeah. Well, guess I believe that about wraps it up. 
I would like to encourage everyone who's listened to us and enjoyed it to please rate and review us on iTunes or any of the other nice podcasting services that you use. Smash that like button. Yeah, please. Like, comment, and subscribe. <laughs> it really helps us out, you know. Yeah. I'm pure to prime, but I'm not racist. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. I would also like to go ahead and pimp our Facebook page, which is, or actually, let me rephrase that. If you would like to catch us on the internet, uh, our webpage is www.realpony.com. I would like to sex work our Facebook page. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'd like to trick out our our Facebook page. Let's be sex positive here. (laughs) You're right. We're not turning it out. We're offering it uh, sex work. (laughs) Now I've got to keep these comments and not edit them out. Okay, so that you can find us at, at www.roleplayingexchange.com. <laughs> Fuck you. You can also find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash the Exchange. And we also have a Twitter, which I hacked. Chris used to be in charge of it, but he forgot the password, and I'm in charge of his email account because I gave him a handy-dandy Exchange email. And you can get find us at RP Exchange. That is our Twitter ID. So please, if you enjoy what you're listening to, follow us on any of these great mediums. Uh, comment. Hashtag team follow back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. So our intro and after this episode was Critical Hills hit by the band Ghost Mice. You can catch them at Planet X Records. Anyway. I think we didn't think this through. We didn't think this through. And <laughs> we've never thought it through. <laughs> My God. Not all fights are won by skill. Some are won by luck. Don't ever give in. You've got to keep on trying till you lose or you win. Cross your fingers, roll the die. Wait with hope for the big two o. Cross your fingers, roll the die. Let it go, let it go, let it go. Let it roll, let it roll.